3: Good morning. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday morning. President Trump yesterday announced his pick to succeed Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court. Rita Braver will have the latest on that in just a few minutes. The nomination comes against a backdrop of sometimes violent encounters between police and civilians, including last week in Louisville, six months after the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor which raises a question. Should a controversial legal principle leave police officers largely shielded from lawsuits over wrongdoing? Our Ted Koppel looks for answers.
4: There's just one little problem with this picture.
5: They got him handcuffed? That could have been one of my kids that man tried to hurt.
4: They got the wrong guy. Beat him up. I'm glad our police are here doing their job. Yeah, me too. And when he sued, the cops claimed something called qualified immunity. We'll explain coming up on Sunday morning.
3: Mariah Carey is a legend of popular music. With a story of triumph over adversity, she's only now ready to share in full. Mariah Carey has had number one hits, 19 times. Your ability to do those high notes. (laughs) Where did that come from? I don't know.
6: Um, No, honestly, I've always had kind of like a raspy voice. But for me, it's like playing an instrument, so it's fun. Later, the one and only Mariah Carey.
3: Legions of cooped-up fun-seekers are on a roll these days, as Nancy Giles will show us.
2: Roller skating, one of America's popular youthful pastimes. A craze from the past
7: is hot again in 2020.
8: And we're on the forefront of the roller skating renaissance. It's freedom, it's liberating, it's just fun.
7: On the
9: streets or in an old-school rink... I met my wife here. Get out. She worked in the check room, and then she skated here. Ah! Uh. Why roller skating is back in style.
6: Ahead on Sunday morning,
3: Susan Spencer shows us a new sculpture of Jackie Robinson, now standing tall. Luke Burbank is in conversation with actor and cannabis farmer Jim Belushi. Moraka talks with the winners of a Rube Goldberg contraption competition. Plus, author Jonathan Alter on a turning point in the life of President Jimmy Carter and campaign commentary from John Dickerson. All on this first Sunday morning of autumn, September 27th, 2020. We'll be right back. President Trump yesterday nominated federal judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the Supreme Court vacancy left by the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Rita Braver has more on the nominee and the confirmation fight ahead.
10: Judge Amy Coney Barrett.
5: President Trump made it official last evening. Amy Coney Barrett is his nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court.
10: She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution.
11: I would discharge the judicial oath, which requires me to administer justice without respect to persons, do equal right to the poor and rich, and faithfully and impartially discharge my duties under the United States Constitution.
5: Barrett is currently a federal judge living in South Bend, Indiana. Married to a lawyer, she is the mother of seven children, one of them with special needs and two adopted from Haiti. After Notre Dame Law School, she clerked for the late Justice Antonin Scalia, a conservative whose philosophy she shares. Ho, ho! Both supporters and opponents of abortion rights predict that Barrett could cement a conservative majority that would overturn the landmark decision in Roe v. Wade. And Democrats are claiming that she'll help strike down the Affordable Care Act and more. Senate Democratic Leader Charles Schumer.
10: Just about everything that America believes in and stands for when it comes to issues like health care and labor rights and LGBTQ rights and women's rights. Judge Barrett stands against all
2: of that.
5: And while Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell blocked President Obama from naming a new justice in an election year...
12: We're going to vote on this nomination on this floor.
5: McConnell says he will get President Trump's pick confirmed with just 37 days till the 2020 election.
3: Is it fair that police officers are shielded from certain lawsuits because of a little-known legal doctrine? Or is that shield sometimes more like a loophole? Our cover story is from senior contributor Ted Koppel.
4: This is a 911 audio recording of an eyewitness to an arrest.
5: I don't know if these are undercover officers that are on top of this man, but this man is screaming, call the police, call the police. This
4: phone call was clearly made before the video was shot.
5: So I don't know what's going on, but they're beating him up. They're literally assaulting him.
4: The guys on top are, in fact, undercover cops. The shirtless guy is a criminal suspect, emphasize suspect. This was back in 2014 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. James King just had the stuffing knocked out of him because he bit one of the cops.
13: I bit the officer on the arm because he uh, put me in a chokehold and I blacked out. And when I came to, uh, that was the only thing I could do to to save my life at the time.
4: And then what happened?
13: He let go eventually, but then he proceeded to punch me in the head until I couldn't move anymore.
4: Which brings us to what may be the central argument for a legal doctrine known as qualified immunity. You don't want law enforcement officers taking down a potentially dangerous suspect worrying about the possibility of a civil lawsuit. I'll let Jack Collins explain. He was general counsel for the Massachusetts Chiefs of Police Association for more than 40 years.
12: It comes down to
14: police officers say, tell me why it is that I have to make this quick decision, use the best information I have, and if later on somebody finds that I made a mistake, I may lose my house, my pension. James
4: King and the actual suspect didn't really look much alike, but, well, mistakes do happen.
13: I didn't make it more than five steps, and I was tackled.
4: James can tell you all about that. He was working two jobs back in 2014 and was on his way from one to the other.
13: Two gentlemen, scruffy-looking guys, backwards ball caps, came up to me and said, hey, who are you? And I said, hey, I'm James. You know, What's up? What's going on? And the first guy asked, you know, is that your real name? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, of course that's my real name. And then the other guy stole my wallet out of my pocket.
4: James confirms that they had badges around their necks, but he thought they were fake. Police say they were checking for his ID when one of them took his wallet.
13: That was the moment where I thought I was being mugged, and I I turned to run. And a fight ensued, and I started to yell for the police.
4: But as a consequence of your fighting back against what you think is a mugging, you are now accused of assaulting a police officer.
13: I did, for for nine months, felt like I was living in a nightmare and unsure of whether or not I was going to go to prison for a crime that I didn't commit.
4: James King was lucky, even luckier, he says, because he is white.
13: My criminal trial attorney, one of the first things he said to me after I told him what happened, he looked me in the eyes and he said, if you were black, they would have killed you. I knew he meant it, and that has always stuck with me.
4: So, to repeat, James was lucky. A, because he's not dead, and B, after legal proceedings that dragged on for many months, a jury found him not guilty of assaulting a police officer.
13: When I spoke with my criminal attorney, he told me, this thing happens more than you would hope, and most of the people that try to fight these things don't win. Many people that have had happen to them what happened to me, they're in jail right now or worse.
4: But what about the arrest that set all of this in motion? Couldn't James sue law enforcement for damages? Well, he could, and he did. And attorneys for the cops invoked qualified immunity. Jack Collins provides legal advice to police agencies.
14: Most cops, quite frankly, don't think about qualified immunity. They have no idea what it's about, and they just know that basically, by and large, when I make a mistake, I'm not going to get sued and have my house taken.
4: And in fact, in James King's case... A district court determined that the officers were entitled to qualified immunity because, given the circumstances, their actions were reasonable. That decision was appealed and overturned. The case is now awaiting further action from the Supreme Court. Again, this has been going on for six years. Shanice West's case has been going on just about that long. Several years back, she returned to the house she was renting near Boise, Idaho, to find the police waiting.
8: They let me know they were looking for a suspect, Fabian Salinas, which is my children's father. I had let them know that he was there earlier, grabbing his belongings.
13: Where's Fabian at?
15: Is he inside? Might or Yes
8: but that I was unsure if he was in the home at the time. They then asked me if they could enter the home to get Fabian.
14: Shanice, let me ask you this. Do we have your permission to get inside your house and apprehend him?
8: They threatened me, saying that I can be charged with felony uh, harboring a fugitive.
14: Let me tell you this, okay, He's got a felony warrant for his arrest. If you harm him, you're going to go to jail for felony harboring.
4: What? You told him yes and gave him the keys. Yes. But instead of opening the door and perhaps risking the life of a police officer, they called the SWAT team, and what did the SWAT team ultimately do?
8: They shot tear gas into my home through the front and also the back of the home. They destroyed windows, doors. An officer fell through a crawl space. They just ransacked my home and destroyed it and left it.
4: Police could have used the key, but in fairness... Though the suspect they were looking for wasn't in the house, there was a dog, so police did hear movement. Shanice, meanwhile, was homeless.
8: We stayed at my grandmother's for two weeks, and then from there we were kind of just with family members from couch to couch.
4: Shanice sued, and police invoked qualified immunity. Their argument has a certain bizarre poetry to it. By giving police the keys to her house... Shanice in effect, consented to whatever action police took to search the house for the suspect. A lower court wasn't buying that argument, but an appeals court did.
9: Did defendants exceed the scope of consent by using tear gas and causing damage to plaintiff's property?
13: The answer to that question is no.
4: The Supreme Court has declined to hear the case, so Chenise, it appears, is out of legal options and out of luck confusing and sometimes infuriating, UCLA law professor Joanna Schwartz would argue that qualified immunity is also unnecessary.
0: When I looked at almost 1,200 cases that were filed around the country, I found that a small proportion of those cases, less than 4%, were actually dismissed because of qualified immunity.
1: Qualified immunity flips the usual way of thinking about things on its head.
4: That's attorney Robert McNamara. He's at the Institute for Justice, a nonprofit law firm that represented Shanice West and James King. Qualified immunity, he explains, can also apply when there is no previous court ruling on a case exactly like the one you're arguing.
1: What that means is that government officials have free reign to violate your rights as long as they manage to violate your rights in a way that nobody ever thought of before.
4: So George Floyd's family, for example, if they were to ask for any damages from the city, in theory at least, qualified immunity could be invoked.
1: That's absolutely right. The question asked in that case will not be whether uh, it was right or wrong for those officers to act as they did. The question, as, as odious as it seems, is actually going to be, for purposes of qualified immunity, whether the jurisdiction already has cases about kneeling on someone's neck and exactly how many seconds uh, did the officer in that earlier case kneel on someone's neck.
4: That's one enormously powerful argument against qualified immunity. Call it the outrage argument. But more to the point, if George Floyd's family gets a large financial settlement, it most likely won't be the individual cops who pay. Qualified immunity, says Professor Schwartz, isn't necessary to protect the police.
0: UNION OFFICIALS AND OTHER DEFENDERS OF QUALIFIED IMMUNITY USE TWO TALKING POINTS REPEATEDLY IN DEFENDING THE DOCTRINE, THAT OFFICERS WILL BE BANKRUPTED IF qualified immunity goes away and that good officers who make reasonable mistakes will be found liable. And neither of those things are true because officers virtually never pay as a consequence of indemnification agreements.
4: Case in point, earlier this month, the city of Louisville, Kentucky, agreed to pay $12 million to the family of Brianna Taylor who were shot and killed by police in her home. None of that money will be paid by the officers involved.
11: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why.
6: I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say
1: it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But
11: those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.
7: Or download the app today.
3: Dodger great Jackie Robinson will be standing tall once a new sculpture in the works is completed. Susan Spencer now with a story of a home run handshake.
7: Jackie Robinson's first home run for the Brooklyn Dodgers-Montreal minor league team was a game changer. What happened next was astonishing. This has been called the handshake of the century, you know, (laughs) which sounds a little dramatic. Do you think that's overstating it?
16: Well, we've had other important handshakes internationally and here at home. But this was a harbinger of the civil rights movement to come.
7: Robinson, of course, would go on to be a civil rights advocate. After finishing his remarkable Hall of Fame baseball career. But first came that handshake. It was April 18, 1946. His debut as the only black man to play in an all-white league.
16: They wanted him to fail. They wanted him to fail.
7: So no surprise, says baseball fan Mark Mellon, that the other players didn't even acknowledge Robinson's first homer. All save the next batter up, George Shotgun Shuba.
16: If you look at the photographs, you can see the pure joy of the moment. He didn't think black, white. As George uh, was known to say in later life, I would have shaken his hand if he was technicolor.
7: Mellon, also a world-renowned sculptor, has studied every minute detail of those photos as he works on a seven-foot-tall statue of the handshake. You have captured both the athleticism and the joy.
16: When you see it outdoors with the sun shining, Uh, It it should just make you smile.
7: (laughs) When it's finished, the bronze statue will stand in this park in Youngstown, Ohio, George Shuba's hometown. At the time for Shuba, this would have been something of a risk, right?
10: With his teammates, I would think so. He may have gotten some jaded looks in terms of, what are you doing?
7: Why do you think he did it? He didn't have to do that.
10: I think he did it because it was the right thing to do.
7: Herb Washington, a businessman in the Youngstown area, is a co-chair of the statute committee. You've been involved in a lot of charitable things. What was it particularly about this one that made you want to support it?
10: Jackie Robinson. (laughs) Period. Period. Jackie Robinson.
7: Washington himself played on the World Series winning Oakland A's in 1974. For him... This is personal.
10: Someone had to be first. Someone had to stand in the gap and take some unbelievable punishments and cruelty so that the next person may not have to endure as much.
7: What would life have been like for Jackie
10: Robinson at that time? I can't even begin to wrap my head around the weight that he must have had on his shoulders not just for himself personally, but all people of color.
7: This had to have been
11: unbelievably painful. There were times when it was very painful, and particularly when you're being attacked and you can't respond. It's a beautiful Isn't picture. That lovely? That's your wedding day. Yeah.
7: Jackie Robinson's widow, Rachel, spoke with CBS Sunday Morning in 2013.
11: What we worried about, for instance, pictures would throw at his head i worried about him getting hurt.
7: And with good reason, Robinson routinely received
11: death threats. It felt like it was us against the world, you know.
7: It was in that atmosphere that George Shuba just did what came naturally.
2: People have to remember that George didn't ask to be the batter up. And he did not know Jack was going to hit a home run. He always taught me as a young kid, if you're ever put on the spot, just do the right thing and everything will work out fine.
7: Shuba's son, Mike, says that handshake photo was such a treasured keepsake, his dad displayed it in the family living room until the day he died. This was long before the civil rights movement, before Rosa Parks. In that context, some people might think a very brave thing to do.
2: I agree with you, yes. Other members of the team, some players didn't even want to bat after Jackie. There were other players, too, that refused to be teammates with Jack. It's uh, sad to see that, but uh, George and Jack became friends, and they showed America that uh, America was maturing.
7: What do you hope this statue says to, say, the father with his kid who walks into the park two years from now and looks up and sees it?
10: I hope the father is able to explain to the kid what the statue represents and how, in that child's lifetime, hopefully racism and bigotry won't exist.
16: Everything about it uh, is uplifting. There is the dark backstory of why is this so significant, but it's America emerging uh, from the war, from a time of segregation, with a realization that we can be better.
7: A realization as simple as reaching out a hand.
3: Jim Belushi is an accomplished actor now cultivating a whole new field of endeavor. He's in conversation with our Luke Burbank.
14: This year has been, yet again, historically grim when it comes to wildfires burning in the western U.S. In Oregon alone, at least ten people lost their lives, tens of thousands were evacuated, and over a million acres
12: burned. The devastation, is to, it's just changed the community. I mean, look at it. It's like a graveyard here. Of the many people affected, was uh, there was one that you
14: might not have expected.
12: Uh, Actor so Jim Belushi. Here, the fires were way up there by that hill. So we use this hose to hose the house down, hose the grass, and hose the field down to keep a little water break.
14: Belushi lives along the Rogue River in Eagle Point, Oregon. Come on. A place he first visited some ten years ago on a family vacation.
12: Good boy. One day I went into the river, skinny dipping, and it was like a baptism, and that was the start. So he bought an old
14: Elks Lodge picnic grounds, built Back a house, built a yeah. sweat lodge. Oh yeah, I'm like, I'm like I'm like a little shaman, you know. And eventually bought the neighboring farm, ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, which is when things got a little trippy. It's a lot of marijuana. Yeah. That's right. Belushi started a cannabis farm, all of which is being documented on a new reality show, Growing
12: Belushi, on Discovery Go. Just thrown away with my vape. I am so obsessed. It's like talking to you right now. My eyes are watching for squirrels and gophers. These pests eat the plants, aphids, russic mites. You are doing battle with Mother Nature. Belushi
14: is involved every step of the way, from the greenhouse. The air has to constantly be circling. You see how this moves? To the drying room. This is the curing
12: of the cannabis. To the finished product. These are what you call little dog walkers, like a little butt. And And he dotes on the ladybugs that eat the aphids. Look at that, a little ladybug. I love them, I personify them, I give them names, I play music for them. And, they, and I believe if you love them, they will move on to the world and love others and help them. This is a sativa, you can tell, because of the thin leaf.
14: Right. If you're it's wondering a, where this Hollywood in. actor got his work ethic, it was yeah. from washing dishes at his father's restaurant. The Belushis lived in Wheaton, Illinois, where they were some of the only Albanian immigrants.
12: I wouldn't let my friends come in the house because you'd open up the door and you can smell liver and onions cooking. And I'm like, ah, uh, no, no, just I'll wait outside, I'll be right out. Jimmy as he was known then,
14: grew up in the very large shadow of his older brother, John Belushi.
12: John looked like Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate in his senior picture, you know? Yeah. Honor Society, Prom King. I mean, he, he had it all going for him. He left no room for me. So I was the star criminal, the star troublemaker. I was on probation from the ages of 13 to 18. Jim was inspired
14: to try acting, After watching his brother perform at Second City and... Live from New York, it's... Well, you know the rest. (laughs) As Jim Belushi was working his way up the comedy ladder... See if you can guess what I am now. John had become arguably one of the biggest stars in the world.
12: I'm a zit. Get it? Then, in March of 1982... Comedy actor John Belushi died today in Los Angeles. John Belushi was 33. Part of it was not just losing a sibling. Part of it was losing a sibling to a drug overdose. It just breaks the family up. It's like throwing a hand grenade in the family. Danny Aykroyd, I think, famously said that if your brother had been a pothead, he might still be alive. You know, Jimmy, if uh, Johnny was a pothead, he'd still be alive today. Well, that made me think for a long time. And that actually set me on this journey, you know.
14: You know what your problem is? Your face. In the nearly four decades since John Belushi's passing, it's actually been Jim Belushi who's become the huge star. They want a guy like, like me. You know, a guy that's going to make them look good. But hanging out on the farm with him, you can't help but think that it might be this role of cannabis farmer that's the one he was born to play and one that might have helped put the past in the past.
12: The beautiful thing about farming is, is that you're in the ground, under the sun, and it just it roots you. It grounds you. Literally grounds you. To Belushi, these
14: cannabis plants have become almost like family. Family that came within three miles of burning to the ground. I love that. Hey,
11: thank you.
14: So when he got an opportunity last week to thank the first responders who helped fight those fires with a free steak lunch, he jumped at the chance.
12: I want to thank all you men and women for not only putting yourself on the line, but being on the line to save and help this community. And we're going to continue and help rebuild. So thank you so much. Uh, you like to meet? <laughs>
3: In a world where most inventors strive to create ever quicker, more efficient machines, modern day acolytes of the late Rube Goldberg stand proudly apart, as Moraka shows us.
9: Over the past six months, so many have strived to make themselves useful, while others have dedicated themselves to building something that seems kind of useless, which is one way of describing a Rube Goldberg machine.
6: It's an overly complicated machine that does a very simple task, hopefully in a humorous way.
9: Jennifer George is the granddaughter of Rube Goldberg, the Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist who drew these imaginary comic contraptions.
12: Now Cat B jumps on Mouse C, causing Lever D to lift lighted candle E which ignites Fuse F and sets off Bomb G, opening door H very
5: gently. It's very simple.
9: She oversees his legacy and runs annual Rube Goldberg machine competitions, like the one we visited in Columbus, Ohio, seven years ago. Each year, there's a different challenge.
6: Next year's task for 2014 is to zip a zipper.
9: Before the pandemic set in, what was going to be this year's task?
6: This year's task was turn off a light. And little did I know how prophetic it would be because by uh, March, everything was shut down.
9: So she moved the contest online with a new challenge.
6: I'm here to invite you, your entire family, and even your family pets, to take the Rube Goldberg Bar of Soap Challenge, a 10 20 step Rube Goldberg machine that at the end drops a bar of soap into someone's hands. It was very clear to me that as schools were shutting down, we had to provide something. Basically some fun distraction that the whole family could get involved in.
9: Good, clean, pandemic-fighting fun. The response
6: was global. We got just shy of 450 submissions. 12 different countries 39 different states i mean it was more successful than we ever imagined a lot of people writing us that it really helped them get through this period of quarantine
9: taking the grand prize the round family of toronto i want to see the trophy it
15: doesn't even fit on the screen
9: (laughs) wow it doesn't that's a big trophy fitting for an epic of an apparatus that stretched to every floor of their home. We sped up their video a bit so you can see the whole shebang.
15: The plan was to go all the way from the kitchen, down the dining table, up the stairs, back down the stairs, and arrive at the same spot.
9: As for their inspiration... Well, we do have that classic game, Mouse Mousetrap! For many, that game was the gateway
10: to Goldberg. And what was so fascinating about it was it was a game with no point.
9: New Yorker writer Adam Gopnik, who wrote the preface to The Art of Rube Goldberg, has a
10: love-hate relationship with the game.
12: Move two spaces. One, two. Start building the mousetrap.
10: The only point was to build the damn machine so you could watch the whole thing interact. It was a very good representation of the essence of Goldbergism, which is elaborate machination to no particular point.
9: Pointlessness that served an important purpose for these families.
0: When we were doing it, we weren't thinking about, like, how we were stuck inside during
11: quarantine. We were thinking about how fun it was to build the machine.
9: Tess, Jed, and their dad, Brian Silverman, set up shop in their Maryland basement. We won the Animal Award. And the Animal Award is in recognition
0: of... Wonder and
2: us.
9: (laughs) (laughs) Mom Leslie was glad to be less involved.
11: Honestly, I kind of just enjoyed my hours that I could do my work while they were down in the basement doing their work.
9: (laughs) Not that she wasn't affected by their work. Did you find certain things disappearing?
6: My ladles, my soup ladles. I have three soup ladles, they were gone. I want those back.
9: The Rube Goldberg subculture has its own cult heroes. We love Joseph's machines. They have so many great ideas. They're just insane. Joseph is YouTube sensation Joseph Hersher. When I watch your videos, I'm in suspense. And I also laugh. Is that common? I hope it's common. That's sort of my goal. We're laughing because our brain is doing something it hasn't quite done before, and it's tickling us in this weird way. So it's more than just laughter. It's really about opening up your mind a little bit. It's just it's, like... It's failure. failing and
7: failing and failing until you finally get it right.
9: That's right. And, and, so- then, and then
7: it feels like heaven.
9: But contest finalists Tate Houseman and his son Lincoln built their gizmo right here on Earth, in Brooklyn to be exact. How many attempts did it take to get it right?
3: Probably around 100 takes. The only one that we got, and we got it on
11: camera, which is lucky
9: feels like there's a lot of life lessons in this.
11: Patience is key. Yes, it worked! But
9: Jennifer George sees another lesson in the continuing legacy of her grandfather.
6: This was something controllable. We can build a Rube Goldberg machine. The virus may be raging outside of our front door, but inside, we've got this
2: covered.
3: A new season is upon us the ideal time to check up on contributor Josh Seftel and, of course, his mother. Hello.
15: I forgot to clap, so let me just...
11: I forgot why we clap.
15: To sync up the cameras.
11: Oh. Hello.
15: So how's it going?
11: Pretty good.
15: How did you feel when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died?
11: i was very sad she was a strong woman i liked her spunk i liked her working out too reminds me of me working out with my trainer she's keeping me moving i was doing push-ups really and i did 21 what i did you can ask
15: her do you think you're in fighting shape
11: i think i could defend myself
15: really what would you do
11: scream and run
15: have you heard about All the parties going on at colleges and kids getting sick.
11: Tonight, Texas A&M is reporting more than 400 cases. I think it's stupid. You could give it to your whole family, your grandma.
15: What if you went to a big party, but you wore a mask?
11: No, I wouldn't go to a big party.
15: What if there was a really cute guy there?
11: Well, how would I know if he had on a mask?
15: You might make a huge mistake, right?
11: They could be terrible looking.
15: What do you think about your granddaughters being back at college now?
11: I'm very worried.
15: Did you know that one of them is going on dates right now?
11: Wait a minute.
15: Would you go on a date?
11: I mean, you could go out on a date. Maybe you could hold hands if you wash them afterwards. Uh I wouldn't recommend anything more than that.
15: Are you looking forward to Halloween this year? I don't know. How do you think Halloween will work during the pandemic?
11: Lots of times faces are covered anyway with masks and stuff.
15: Will you give out candy?
11: I don't think there's anybody here that's younger than like 75.
15: (laughs) The last time we did a recording, you said you were using a spray can to cover your roots. Yeah. What's going on now?
11: Well, last week I went to the beauty parlor and they did my roots. There's no gray.
15: How does it make you feel to be able to go to the hairdresser?
11: Really good because I look good. I was looking pretty bad there.
15: Have you met any new men lately?
11: Not lately and not ever. (laughs) (laughs)
15: <laughs> would you like to?
11: When you're at my age, the only men that would be interested in you are in their 90s. That's not an exciting thought. I wouldn't mind dating a younger man.
15: How much younger?
11: I would date somebody in their 70s.
15: Are you following the presidential campaign?
11: Oh, yes. President Trump and Joe Biden hitting the campaign trail.
15: Have you seen that Joe Biden has a vintage Corvette? Really? I love this car. Would you like to go for a ride in it? Sure. Sure.
11: The thing is, I could get in, but how would I ever get
15: out? What advice do you have for people about voting?
11: Vote early.
15: What do you think Thanksgiving is going to be like this year?
11: I'm probably going to be by myself. It's really sad because that is my favorite holiday. That's when I got to see everybody.
15: Maybe there will be less arguments, though, this year.
11: People find a way to argue.
15: What advice do you have for people who feel sad or hopeless right now?
11: I think you have to appreciate being alive. There are good things happening. You still can cook a great meal. I have a couple of friends that come over. I just got another granddaughter. Hi, Grandma. Oh, hi. hi.
15: Do you want to see the baby?
11: Yeah, I do. Oh, my God. Get a little closer if you can.
15: Oh. Well, we wish you could be here in person.
11: Yeah, I wish I could, too. I'd want to hold her and touch her little cheeks.
15: We need help changing diapers.
11: That's always a problem, isn't it? (laughs) I'm
3: Jane Pauley. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.